This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I love it. I love all the friendship. I love the, uh, the excitement to be here to greet each other. And I'm just excited about today. It's going to be incredible. If we haven't met yet, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And while you're finding your seat, I'm going to be going into our message this morning. going to be guiding us through the New Testament challenge journey that we have been on for the last five weeks now. But while you're finding your seat, you're going to want to do a few things. Pull out that Connect card, the card that says Start Here. And go ahead and just put your name and email address down. It's a great way for you to connect with the church. Great way for us to connect with you. And ultimately, it's a great way to help us connect you to God. That's really our main goal of it. I'm going to give you some things to do with that card later on this morning, but put your name and email address at the bottom of that. If you are a guest, I want to give you a special welcome today. We're so glad that you chose to take a risk to come and be here with us today, and I am just praying, have been praying all week that you would really encounter God this morning as you come and as you uh, jump in with our community to what we're talking about today. So if you, as a first-time guest, would give us your information on that card, we just want to thank you for being here. If you drop that card in the basket a little bit later on this morning, we have a gift for you at our Connect kiosk. So make sure you stop. It's out in the lobby. Make sure you stop back there and grab that. The other thing you're going to want is your t- are your teaching notes. This is going to help you uh, remember the things that we talk about this morning so you can pray into them later on this week so you can really look at them so that this is not just a passing thing that you do on Sunday morning, but this becomes uh, a, a lifestyle of engaging with God, of experiencing Him, and of taking the challenges that He gives us throughout the Scripture in the New Testament. Uh, so go ahead and pull out your teaching notes, get ready, pull out your Connect cards. And I want to tell you uh, about a story that I heard recently about this couple. And they're a new couple who just started going to church, and, and uh, they, were, they were getting into it, her more than him, but he was getting into it as well. But she started going to church and then started reading her Bible on a regular basis, and it was Saturday morning, bright and early. The kids woke up, and they were crying, and they had both been out late the night before. And so she says to her husband, hey, honey, get up and go make me the coffee. He's like, wow, you don't normally demand things like that of me. And she said, you know what? Go make me the coffee right now. And he's like, why are you talking to me like this? She said, it's biblical. Okay, I've been following the Bible. I've been reading my Bible. Make me the coffee. It's right there in the Bible. It's biblical. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're full of malarkey. Uh, because they were in Ireland in the story. They were in Ireland. So, so you're full of malarkey. She pulls out her Bible. She opens up. She says, right there, Hebrews. It's right there in the Bible. <laughs> Hebrews. That, that is a good, that's a good Bible joke. You can take that anywhere. You can take that on the road. While it is a joke, there's some truth to what she said to him, which is, hey, honey, go and serve me. The Bible talks about service, and there's some truth for her, that she would go and serve him. If I was to say one word to describe what it means to have an encounter with God and be a follower of Jesus, not just a believer in Jesus, but a follower of Jesus, the word that I would use above all others is the word servant. I would say that it is actually impossible to truly follow after God, to truly experience the life that you were called to and that I was called to without first becoming a servant. And I got to tell you, I'm so excited that I'm part of this church because this church is full of servants. Uh, This morning, just to make these things happen, there were probably close to 50 people, some of them getting here as early as 645, setting up, preparing, getting communion ready for you, getting the program set, getting ready for worship, working in our children's ministries, getting everything going. This church is full of people who serve within the church. Our church is full of people who serve outside of the church. And when we talk about service, we're talking not just in the church, but outside of the church as well. 
Uh, we have folks who work at the Fifth Tuesday Food Pantry over at Lucchese who prepare uh, meals for people who wouldn't otherwise have food for the week if our groups didn't go and serve in that capacity. Uh, we have people serving all over the place with COTS and other local organizations, uh, Redwood Gospel Food Mission, just some really uh, some great things. We have people who give their time, their vacation time, and spend their own money to go on mission trips. Just this last year, we had a team go to Mexico and another team go to India and use their skills to serve, to build houses, to work with orphans, uh, to teach and to lead and to, to work in schools. We have a church full of people who serve. If you don't believe me, uh, today and tomorrow, we're going to have close to 300 of us who are going to be serving, getting ready for what we're calling Family Fest, which is a servant evangelism project that's helping us reach into the community, let the community know that the church is a safe place, that we want their kids to be safe on Halloween, and that we want them to come back and experience God. And so we're going to be sor- serving this afternoon, we're going to be serving tomorrow, tomorrow night, and then doing some cleanup later in the evening to get ready for Family Fest. Here's why I'm excited about service. Here's why I would say that uh, service is one of those keys to following Jesus, why it is one of the challenges of the New Testament. It's because when we serve, we have a tremendous impact. Think about this for a second. 300 of us today and tomorrow will serve uh, at Family Fest, but through that 300 people, somewhere between two and 3,000 people, Lord willing, will be impacted. They'll see that, uh, one, that we want their families to have a safe, good time for Halloween, uh, but two, that the church is an open place to them that they could come back anytime, that they could feel welcome here, that they would be accepted here, that we aren't closed off to the community around us, but that we're open. The impact that we have when we serve is tremendous. And at first glance, it almost seems like service is all about other people, and primarily it is. Primarily service is about serving others. Without others, there is no serving, but really there are some great benefits to you, great benefits to me as we serve. And the first is that when we, be, when we serve, we become more like Christ, we become more like Christ in our identity. We learned last week that that is the goal of life. The goal of our lives is to persevere on this race, which is going towards Jesus. He's the ultimate end. He's the ultimate goal. The goal of our lives is to become more like Christ. And notice what Jesus says about himself in Mark 10. It's up on the screens. He says, even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if anyone had the right to be served, it was Jesus. The Bible says that he spoke the world into existence, that he's the, the living word of God that spoke the world into being. And the Bible says that he created all things, and in him all things hold together. The Bible tells us that he is our Lord, he's our Savior, he's the Redeemer, he's God in the flesh. If anyone could use their position of authority to be served, it was Jesus. And he had a legitimate claim to it, but he didn't. I think oftentimes a lot of us, maybe it's mostly guys, but it could be all of us, we think that being a servant in service equals weakness. But I would say that Jesus says it's the exact exact opposite, that through service we find strength. Through lowering ourselves, we become the people that we're supposed to be. It takes incredible strength to say, I'm going to serve you even when I don't feel like serving you. I'm going to do something to put your best interest at heart, even though it might make things more difficult to me. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I could have. I could have told you all to serve me, and you would have done it. And in fact, the people who were alive during Jesus' time, the Jews, they expected Jesus to come as a conquering leader who would be served. And that's why a lot of them didn't recognize him, because he came as a servant. He came to serve other people and to give his life as a ransom or a payment for many. And so Jesus shows us that service equals strength. 
Uh, another great thing about service is that service takes us outside of our comfort zones. And we like to be comfortable, right? Even uh, some of you who are, are uh, not too terrified about the front seats, you take these comfortable seats because it's comfortable to be in the front seats because they're a little more cushy than the back seats. Let's be honest. Let's call it like it is. We like to be comfortable. We like to have our space. We like it to kind of be uh, to some level about us. But when we serve, we get outside of our comfort zones and we open the door for spiritual growth. And that's our goal in life. God's more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. He's more concerned about our growth than he is about our safety. Uh, Over the last month, I've had this type of experience where God's been convicting me that I need to be a servant, specifically to people who the rest of the world forgets. I feel like I do an okay job of serving my family, of serving the church, but he's really been convicting me and calling me, be a servant of the people that the world overlooks, that we miss, that we forget. And it started about three weeks ago. I was reading through the New Testament challenge. I was seeing Jesus' model of service. And I got in my car at the church one afternoon to head home. It was about 5.30. And I began to drive down the street, and it was raining outside. And I saw a man who I'd met a few times named Timothy. Now, Timothy is is a mentally and physically handicapped man. Uh, He's an incredible man who I've gotten to talk to once or twice. But something in me as I was driving by said, you need to stop and offer him a ride. That felt uncomfortable for me. I don't know this guy. What's he going to think about me? I've got this scraggly-looking beard. I'm kind of terrifying. You know, like, what, what's this going to be about? Right? I know I'm terrifying. I know. Uh, some of the big guys in the church have said, well, Kevin, you are really intimidating with that beard. And I tell them, hey, you know what? It is what it is. You love it or leave it. Um, so I pull over, and I had this really kind of outside of my comfort zone conversation. I say, hey, Timothy, I'm Kevin. We met six months ago. Um, where are you going? He says, I'm going to the bus stop. I said, oh, can I give you a ride to the bus stop? And he looked at me, and he said, do you live in Runner Park? I said, well, I do live in Runner Park, actually. He said, can you take me home? I said, that's further than the bus stop. But yeah, I could do that. All of a sudden, the tension grew because it wasn't a five-minute ride to the bus stop. Now it's a 20-minute or 25-minute ride home. And so he hops in the car, and we start driving, and we start talking, and I'm trying to figure out how do I engage with this man, hear his story, you know, get to know him a little more, form a friendship. Um, Timothy works over at one of the companies in the area, and he cleans toilets. That's what he does for his job four hours a day. And so um, there's this, there was, and if I'm totally honest, there was just this feeling of, I feel a little uncomfortable. What do I do in this situation? But we had a good time. We talked, we got to know each other. At the end of the drive, I kind of passed him. He, he wanted to give me a big hug. He said, I love you. He gave me a big hug, said, I love you. And I said, you know, I, I love you too, actually. I, I really do. And I said, hey, if you ever need a ride, you just let me know. So he said, okay. And I thought, well, that was a great one-time experience. Well, then, ne- the ne- no, that's not how that works. The next day, I was staying late at the church, and it was about, uh, about 5.30 again, and I came downstairs to get some coffee because I enjoy my coffee. And as I'm walking downstairs to get my coffee, I was planning to be here till 9 o'clock or so. Out of the corner of my eye, I catch Timothy walk past the office doors. And the Lord prompted me, go offer him a ride. To which I responded, Lord, I'm not going home today. I'm staying here to do my work. And he said, go offer him a ride. So... Again, I got out of there. I ran after him, which was really awesome. I said, hey, Timothy, Timothy, wait up. Can I give you a ride home? And so I got to give him a ride home again that day. And then just this last week on Wednesday, I saw him again. I said, hey, Timothy, can I give you a ride home? This was really fun because one of his care workers was behind him, and she thought that I was trying to abduct him. So she, like, speeds up and says, Timothy, Timothy, wait. Where are you going? I said, it's okay. I'm a pastor. And then I wondered, like, is that really comforting to her? And so I I gave Timothy a ride home again, and we're forming a friendship, and God is showing me what it means to get outside of my comfort zone, and I'm growing in my character. I'm becoming more like Jesus through this interaction. Timothy is making me more like Jesus 
because I can serve him and give him a right home. I'm serving him, but in the process, he is showing me what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it has been really, really good. I'm so thankful uh, for what he's doing in my life and the way that God is using Timothy to engage me, to encounter me, to draw me in. This morning, my hope is to spend some time in Philippians chapter 2, because in Philippians 2, Paul gives us a picture, a story of Jesus' life. He gives us a snapshot that says, this is what it means to be a servant like Jesus was a servant. So we're going to read Philippians 2, and then we're going to reference back to it throughout the morning, because I think we see some key things about service in here. First, uh, in Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So he says, as you work with each other, as you work with other people, have the same mindset as Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of his humility, because of his service, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If our goal in life is to encounter God and be more like Jesus, then service is going to be a key part of that. So what does it look like? How do we do it? How can we be people who serve? Because I would actually suggest that having a life of service, which is, by the way, part of our mission statement at this church. Our goal is to connect with God and then with other people to develop as followers of Christ and to have lifestyles of service, to have lives marked by service. And we say that because I believe it's the best way to live. It's the most powerful way to live. It's the most influential way to live. It's a life that has meaning and a life that matters. And so how do we do it? Because really it's best for us. God created us in his image. He created us to be servants. And so when we serve, we're living out that divine identity that he's given us. It's best for our relationships with those closest to us. Can you imagine how many fights you would avoid if you had just served your husband or your wife or your kids or your friends or your roommates? Now just imagine it for a second, because I did this actually. I did this activity. How many fights would I have not gotten into with my spouse if I would have just said, let me take care of that today, honey. Let me serve you. Let me put your interests before my own. It'd be incredible. Through service, we actually change the world one person at a time. And so it's the best for the world when God's people serve the way that God called us to serve. And I love that this church is full of world changers. It's full of world changers like our sound guys in the back of the room who never get any credit. You only look at them when they mess up, and it's so sad. So if the mic doesn't work, don't turn around and look at the sound guys. Blame it on me. Our sound guys are world changers. I got an email this week from a woman in Wyoming. She said, Kevin, Uh, I'm 50 now, and I haven't been to church since I was a child. But just about a month ago, a man from Petaluma came to visit me, and he told me about your church because I've been rethinking some decisions I had made young earlier in life. He told me about New Life Christian Fellowship. So I got online, and I listened to the podcast, and I've been listening to the podcast every week since then. And for the first time in close to 35 years, I am encountering God and experiencing God. Now, that did not happen because I preached a message. It happened because the sound guys get here at 7 o'clock every morning, and they stay until the message is up on the podcast. And this woman's life is being changed by God through these guys' service. Serving changes the world, and it does it one person at a time. 
So I want to talk about three actions of a servant that we see in Jesus' life. The first action is that a servant must choose to put God first in life. A servant has to choose to put God first in life. The question is not who do you serve, or it's not do you serve someone, but who do you serve? Or what do you serve? Because we all serve something. We serve ourselves, we serve other people, or we can serve God. Really, it comes down to two choices. We serve God, which makes us more like Christ, which makes us selfless, which improves our life and the world. Or we can choose to serve ourselves, and sometimes that takes the form of money or image or career or relationships. But ultimately, it comes back to serving myself. And we have to decide, who am I going to choose to serve? Jesus says this in Luke 16 when he's talking about money. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And man, that sure is true about money, but it's true about everything. We can't serve two masters. So we have to ask ourselves, and this is a very real question, not just for you if you're here checking out God. This is a very real question for those of us who have called ourselves followers of Jesus for our entire lives. Who am I going to serve? I've been thinking about this more and more recently, and I feel like my life, in my internal life, is a series of rooms that I open up to Jesus one room at a time. And I feel like I've given myself completely to God, and then a situation comes up where I realize, man, that part of my life has been closed off to God. I've put a do not enter sign on that area of my life. And as Christians, we need to be fully open to serving God, fully giving ourselves to God, which means when he shows us an area of our life where he's not the Lord, where we're not serving him, where he is not the master, we need to open that door wide open. And so the question for us as Christians is who am I going to serve with my entire life? And the question for you, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, who are you serving with your life? How is that working for you? Is it the life that you hoped for, that you dreamed for, because God has an incredible life, if you put him in the driver's seat, if you put him on the throne? I see those bumper stickers that say, Jesus is my co-pilot, and that is bad theology all the way around. Jesus should not be your co-pilot. He should be the pilot. You should be sitting in coach, okay? <laughs> Jesus is the pilot, not the co-pilot. Jesus modeled this for us in his life. His ultimate goal was to serve God the Father. That's why uh, Philippians says that he took on flesh, that he came to this earth to serve God the Father's purposes. He knew who he was serving. That's why he went to the cross, to bring us back to God, because that was God the Father's initial plan, was to bring us back to him. And he did it when it was difficult. If you've been reading through the New Testament challenge with me, you've gotten to uh, the last part of Jesus' life twice now, I believe. I think we just are finishing uh, Matthew, Mark. Have we hit? I'm on week nine, so I got to confess. I kind of work ahead and then work back so I can get the blog ready for you. But we've hit the end of Jesus' life a number of times where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he is heartbroken over the things that have to happen. His heart's breaking for us because he loves us, and his heart is breaking because he knows the path set before him is the cross, and he knows the pain that it will endure. And he says to God, Father, if you're willing Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. It's an incredible prayer. It's a powerful prayer. And I wonder, have we said that prayer in our lives recently? God, not my will for my job, but your will be done. 
If you would say, change careers now, I'll do it, Lord, because it's not my will for my career. It's your will for my career that I put first. You're the Lord. You're the master. God, not my will for my relationship or my marriage, but your will be done. God, right now this seems really hard, and um, if it was my will, I would walk away, but it's not your will for my marriage that I walk away, so would your will be done? Would you help me to stick to it and make it the kind of relationship it should be? God, not my will for my finances, but your will be done. God, I'm going to read what your word says about finance management, and I'm going to do it. Not my will, but your will be done. Because if we want God to bless certain areas of our lives, we need to give those areas of our lives over to him. We need to open up those doors to those rooms inside our lives that are closed off to God and say, God, come into that area. You be the Lord. You be the pilot. Philippians 2, 9, if we flip back there, and you can just go back up on your notes or you can look on the screen, says, therefore, and it's because Jesus put God's plan first in his life, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It's an incredible thing, and it happened because Jesus knew who he was serving. So that's the first thing we need to do, is we need to decide, who am I going to serve with my life? And the second thing we need to do is protect our attitude. Protect our attitude. My daughter's three now, and she is incredible. She really is. She's one of the greatest joys in my life. But anyone who's got little kids knows uh, that even when your kids obey at age two and age three, there's something about the way in which they obey or don't obey that you need to work on, and that's the heart. We call it having a happy heart in our family. So I'll tell her, Maddie, go clean up your toys. And she skulks over to the toys, and she starts to kind of throw them in the corner, and she's kicking them. And I'll walk over to her and say, Maddie, what are you doing? She's like, I'm picking up my toys. I see that you're picking up your toys. You're doing what I said to do. You're serving your dad because he told you to do it, but your heart is not happy. Your heart is sad and your heart is angry, and and I want you to have a happy heart. So Maddie, what can we do to have a happy heart right now? It's not enough to do the things I tell you to do. What can we do to have a happy heart today? Because I realize that what we do is not the only thing that matters the heart with which we do it is incredibly important. If we want to encounter God in service, our heart has to be right before God. We have to want to do it. We have to willingly do it. We have to have a mindset that says, I want to serve like Jesus serves. Not, I'm going to serve like Jesus serves because that's what the pastor tells me to do, or that's what my husband told me or my wife told me to do. James, uh, William James, who's a philosopher at Harvard, said, the greatest discovery of my generation— is that you can control your actions by changing your attitude. He said, this is the single greatest discovery of my generation. You can control your actions if you would just change your mindset, change your attitude. And while I agree with him that that is true and real and right, it is not a discovery from our generation. This is nothing new. Jesus said it from the very beginning. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent literally means change your attitude. Change your mind. Have a paradigm shift in the way that you do things, in the way that you believe things, in the way that you live, and it will change your actions. And so we need to ask ourselves the question when we serve, what kind of mind do I have? What kind of attitude do I have? Am I doing this because I'm joyful and I want to serve the God God of the universe, or am I doing it begrudgingly? Have you ever had someone do something for you and you know they don't really want to be doing it? and you just kind of feel bad about it, and they're not happy, they're not blessed, 
you're not blessed and you just don't call him to help you the next time? What attitude do I have when I serve? Am I doing it out of a sense of deep thankfulness to God or am I doing it out of a sense of obligation? And this is key. Go back to verse 5 in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus had. Have the same attitude. Have the same heart. Here's what it is. Being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friend, Jesus had every advantage in the world. He was God. But look at what his attitude was. It was humility. Humility is key to protecting our heart, protecting our attitude. And you can put that in your notes. Humility is the key to protecting my heart. So you have the right to not serve. We live in a society that's all about our rights, what we deserve, what we should get. And it tells us every day, you have the right to do whatever you want to do. You have the right to take care of yourself, work for number one. But Jesus says, it's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to end up old, unhappy, and alone if you do that. And so he says, serve, but do it with the right heart, because it's too easy to complain. It's so easy a caveman can do it. I've been wanting to use that line for a long time. So easy a caveman can do it? From the Geico commercials? You don't care. All right. Well, uh, we'll see how that goes over in second service. I really wanted to use that line. It's so important that we choose, that we choose to serve God with the right attitude. I can't stress it enough. I want us to ask ourselves this week the same question I've been asking my daughter recently. Are you doing this with a happy heart? Because if you're not doing it with a happy heart, it does not mean stop doing it. It means get your heart right so you can serve God. And if you find that you have a hard time, that your heart or your mind are just angry or negative or bitter, do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 5. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. When negative thoughts come in, when you feel like you're being taken advantage of, when you feel like the whole world's out to get you, take that thought captive for Christ and say, you know what, that is a lie, that's not true. I'm going to throw it out. What we do is we take these negative thoughts and we dwell on them and we think, yeah, I am getting used. I am getting abused. I shouldn't have to serve. But Paul says, take it captive. Make it your prisoner. Do not become a prisoner to negativity. Become a prisoner to positive thinking, to serving with the right heart and serving with the right attitude. And then the last thing is we need to choose to plant daily seeds of love and kindness that become a lifestyle of service. Growing up, I had these great visions and dreams of becoming uh, a lifesaver, a hero. Did you ever have these things? Like you just knew that you were destined for something great, that at some point in your life, you would save that person. Maybe it was watching too many cartoons about superheroes. I don't know what it was. But I had this great dream that at some point early in my adolescence, I would save someone, like I'd push an old lady out from in front of a bus, or I would save someone from drowning, or I would, you know, defeat a robber, something really big with my life. The problem is those things never came. I never got the opportunity to save someone. And what I found was I just sat around doing nothing, waiting for the big opportunity to serve, waiting for the big opportunity to make a difference. But the opportunity never came. And so I just sat around idle, spinning my wheels, waiting. That's why the Bible talks about planting seeds, small seeds every day that form lifestyles of service. Mother Teresa hit the nail on the head. She said, there are no great deeds in life, only small deeds done 
with great love. That's a beautiful picture of this type of thing that Jesus is talking about. The invitation of Jesus is to plant seeds that are small every day, multiple times a day, of love and compassion and service, trusting that in time they will create an incredible harvest. That fruit will grow from those things, fruit that you won't even see. And again, I go back to our sound guys because the story's fresh in my mind. They put the podcast on faithfully every week. And because of their faithfulness, this woman is coming to know Jesus, the living God, in Wyoming. They plant little seeds every week, and their seeds are growing to this incredible harvest. When we plant seeds, produces harvest that's well beyond what we could ever imagine. Jesus is a great example of this. Jesus was one person. He was God in the flesh. He came and he died for the salvation of the entire world. One man took the place for all of our sin so that we could have an encounter, a relationship with the living God. And you and I have opportunities every day. As followers of Jesus, he gives us opportunities to serve other people every day if we have the eyes that are open to see it. If we look around the room, if we look around our office, if we look around our streets and say, God, show me how to serve, he gives us opportunities every day. And so I want to ask you, do you want a life that's significant? Do you want a life that matters? If you do, it starts with a choice, which leads to an action. Those actions become your habits. Those habits define your character. And that character ultimately leads to a destiny. If you want a life that matters, start choosing today to plant small seeds of love. They will become your character, and they will define your destiny. By the way, uh, some of you have asked me recently, hey, why do we serve together in life groups? It just feels like an extra thing. We're supposed to just study the Bible together. I want to tell you why we serve in life groups, since I have the stage and I have the microphone. We serve in life groups because planting seeds of service three times a year in our three sessions of life groups, is not a lifestyle of service. But my hope is that as we plant those small seeds, something in you begins to grow. You encounter God through serving, and you say, you know what, I could do this on my own. I could take my friends outside of this life group, and we could serve, and we could start a servolution of love that would change the world. That's really what I want to see. That's why we serve three times a year. That's why we say get involved in ministry. It's not because that's the end-all, be-all. It's because it should spark something. It's a small seed And you're planting seeds all over for God to work, for God to move. Because the call of Jesus is not occasional service. It's not even weekly service. It's everyday service. It's a huge call. And we can do it because of what Jesus did, because of his love for us, because of his compassion towards us, because of the example he gives us, and because the Spirit of God is living in us. Friends, if someone was to ask me, how to define New Life Christian Fellowship. Here's what I would want to say to them. Here's what I want New Life Christian Fellowship to be. Here's what I want you to be. Here's what I want me to be. I want us to be people who passionately love God, who encounter the living Jesus on a regular basis, and who love other people. If that was all they said about us, they could could throw any stone they want to other than that. But if they said those two things about us, I would say we are doing our job as the church. My hope for you is that on the day that you meet God face to face, He will look you in the eye and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because in that moment, you'll know that every seed you planted was worth it. Every uh, inconvenience was worth it. Every awkward encounter was worth it. 
to have God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my great goal. That's my great hope for our church. That's where I want God to take me. And I'm praying that you'll take that challenge with me, that you will become servants, that we will grow in our service, that we will do it with a happy heart, that we will protect our attitudes, and that we will choose to plant seeds every day. And it begins because of the sacrifice Jesus made. So what I'd like to do as we close up this message is I'd like the ushers to go back and prepare the elements for communion because the truth is we can only serve because of the service that God did for us. Because when we were far away from God, Jesus came to earth. Philippians says he put on flesh. He humbled himself and he became a servant, obedient to death, even death on the cross, so that we could come to him. And I want to ask you this morning, have you come to him? He made the way. He opened the door. Have you come to him? And first, I want to talk to those of us who are Christians. Have you come to him with every area of your life? Or are there parts that you're keeping from him? Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your treasure. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe it's your emotions. Are there parts that you're keeping separate from Jesus? He wants your whole life. And so when we take communion, I want to encourage you, if you feel like you've slid away from Jesus, if you're a follower of God, but you feel like I'm just not living the life that God called me to live, recommit yourself to him today. It's the greatest choice you could ever make. And if you're here this morning and uh, you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm just checking this out. I want to propose to you that the greatest choice you can make with your life is to follow after God. God made a way for you. He created you. He knows you. He loves you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Would you come? Would you give yourself to him? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake and for my sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. What it's saying there is you are separated from God right now, but Jesus came to earth to bring you back, to give you incredible riches with him, to give you an incredible relationship where you could say, God, I know that you're real and that you're living in me and that you're guiding me. The question is, how will you respond today? I'm going to pray for us in just a second. I'm going to pray for strength for us. I'm going to pray for the willingness to do the things that God calls us to do. And then I'm going to give some space. And if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can just pray it after me, inviting God into your life, inviting God to lead you and guide you. If you've never made that decision, but you sense that God is calling you today, I want to tell you there's no greater time to make that choice than right now. So you can pray that simple prayer after me. Would you join me as we pray? Holy Spirit, as we look at your word, as you encounter us, as you grab us, as you show us what it means to follow after you, I ask for three things. I ask that you would give us the sobriety and the self-knowledge to know where we are in our lives right now, that we would not fool ourselves. I ask that you would give us, through your word, a clear vision for where we could be, for where you're taking us and where you want us to go. And Holy Spirit, I ask for the conviction to take those steps and to be the people that you call us to be. Lord, our great desire is that when we come to the end of our lives, they would be lives that were marked by significance, lives that influenced others in incredible ways, and our goal is that as we get to the end of our lives, you would say to us, well done, fit good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in planting these small seeds, and they've produced an incredible harvest. So Lord, would you give us the strength to serve with a right attitude and a happy heart every day? As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, 
Today's your day. There's no two ways about it. God made a way for you to come to him. This life that we talk about cannot be done apart from God. It's only done with God through his sacrifice. So if you sense that God is calling you to this life of love and service, that he's calling you to himself, you can pray this simple prayer after me and you can pray it right where you're sitting. Just whisper these words right after me. You can say, Lord Jesus, I know you died on a cross to forgive me of my sins. Would you come and would you live in my life? Would you guide me on this journey? And would you give me the strength to follow you with every part of who I am? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.